Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So we're going to keep talking about Acts chapter 15. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn over to Acts chapter 15. Uh, We're going to dive into looking at the continuation of the scripture that we've been working through now for several months. And we're going to focus here at the end of of Acts chapter 15. And I have to tell you, I don't believe that I've ever heard a, a message on Sunday morning or even a Sunday school lesson or any other Bible study or anything hit on this passage of Scripture. Um, oftentimes, as followers of Christ, this is a passage of Scripture that we just don't know what to do with. There's a disagreement that comes up between Paul and Barnabas. And so, in not knowing how to handle that, uh, what we often do is, well, we'll just skip over that and we won't study this passage of Scripture. When I initially charted out um, Acts chapter 15, uh, I was just going to read through Acts chapter 15 last week and then end uh, with what we talked about last week and then move, or the week before that, and then we would just move on and then just keep going in Acts chapter 16. The Lord kept pressing me and pressing me and bringing me back to this passage of Scripture. And so I've really wrestled with this passage of Scripture um, in this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, but I want to begin, um, I don't know about you, um, but... Um, there have been times in my life um, that I've been hurt. And I think if we would be honest with ourselves, uh, we've all been hurt in our life from time to time. Uh, One of the things that hurts us so often um, are relationships. Do you remember the song? Uh, Some of you will know these lyrics, and some of you um, will sing these lyrics, actually, as I say them. The, The song is Love Hurts. Love hurts, love scars, love wounds, and it marks any heart not tough or strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud. It holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Oh, love hurts. And some of you are thinking, yeah, Nazareth. They sang that. No. And then some of you are thinking long before Nazareth got to that song, it was the Everly Brothers. And the rest of you are thinking, who's Nazareth and who are the Everly Brothers? You have no clue who I'm actually talking about. Um... But if we would be honest, love hurts sometimes. Just by actually being together, love hurts. So a couple of years ago, um, I, th- I think it's been two years, it may have been last year, for my birthday, um, I had uh, several cards. The elementary school had their kids make cards for me. And one of the classes, it was Miss Bowden's class, um, actually brought a card that um, she made for me, and every student in her class uh, took a thumbprint, and then they made an actual caterpillar, and then they signed their names on that. And I wanted, it was such a cute card, but I have to tell you about this. When I opened that card, I cried, because I want to tell you about something that I had actually forgotten about. 
a long, long, long time ago. This is kind of what that actually looked like. This is not the card. Um, but this, you can get the idea and see what, what exactly it looks like. And so every kid um, made a thumbprint, and then the teacher's thumbprint was the main one there and was the head of the caterpillar. When I was in fourth grade, um, my birthday's the beginning of May. When I was in fourth grade, the beginning of May that year, I was sick, and I missed several days of school. And I missed school on my birthday. Our fourth grade teacher, I won't say her name here, Every birthday in the class made one of these caterpillars for their kids, uh, for the students whose birthday it was. And everybody, we loved doing it in fourth grade. We loved getting our finger on an ink pad or paint, and then we put it on there. And then when the kids celebrated with cupcakes, or even if there was nothing, then that's what our teacher actually gave to us. And I enjoy keeping those types of things. I always have. I hang on to all kinds of stuff. And so what happened is school started in August, and from August all the way up to May, we celebrated almost everybody's birthday in my class. It may have been everybody. I was always one of the youngest in my class because my birthday is in May. I promise you I'm going somewhere. Just stick with me. Um, I was sick at the beginning of May for my birthday, and I missed school on my birthday. And so I knew... Whatever day it was that I was coming back, that I was actually going to get my birthday caterpillar. All the other kids had gotten their birthday caterpillar, and I was going to get my birthday caterpillar. When I got back to school on that day, I didn't get a birthday caterpillar. Oh, oh I mean, give, come on, it's a little sympathy here. Go with me, stick with me, stick with me. Okay, let's try that again. When I got back to school, I didn't get my birthday caterpillar. Thank you, thank you. I had forgotten about this. It, it hurt, it hurt. Because, I mean, in fourth grade, I was turning nine. And so uh, everybody else had gotten one. But instead, what the teacher had done is she had the kids write something up on the chalkboard. We had chalk back at that time. Well, no one had camera phones back there. You couldn't take a photo of it. Um, I didn't carry a Polaroid camera to school with me to take a photo of it. Uh, and it, wasn't nothing, it was nothing that I could actually take home with me. I forgot about this. I was, I was very, very upset about that. I forgot about this. I had moved on from this until Miss Bowden's class gave me one for my 45th birthday. And I read it, I opened it up, and I cried. But you know what happened? I was reliving some of that hurt from when I was nine years old. Dexter, I need to make an appointment with you, if you don't mind, please. <laughs> Allison, um, life hurts sometimes, doesn't it? There are just some silly, silly, you think that's silly. It was silly, but to a nine-year-old boy, it wasn't silly. Um, it hurt deep inside of me, and that was fulfilled in my life, um, 35, almost between 35, 40 years later. Um, do you know what we do naturally just because we want to be strong people? And our, our culture tells us that. Just be strong. One of, the, one of the famous lines of our culture is, suck it up, buttercup, right? Just suck it up. Hang in there. Deal with it. Get over it. Don't be a baby. Move on. Be strong. You can do it. Don't be a wimp. That's what we tell ourselves. 
But it doesn't change the fact, and it's a fact, that life hurts sometimes. The church that I was raised up in, I've shared some bits and pieces with, uh, with you of the church that I was actually raised up in. Um, we didn't process disagreements very, very well at all. And so the mindset that I was raised up in the church was, well, whenever you disagree with somebody, they're the wrong ones, and you need to leave the wrong people alone. So um, I was probably a little older. I was uh, 10, 11 years old. Um, and at this time, we had moved out of the town from the church that I was actually raised up in. I moved from Lilburn, Missouri to Dexter, Missouri. Uh, but we would go back um, quite often and spend time with my grandparents who lived in Lilburn because that was the church that, where we were raised in. And I was in, I'll never forget, it's a Sunday school story for you, for you uh, Linda. I was in the junior's Sunday school class. Um, that meant I was in the fifth, sixth, uh, fifth and sixth grade. And because we had moved, the pastor who was new to the church made the decision to take my name off of the Sunday school roll. Now, I went to that church for the first time when I was 16 days old. This pastor had only been there for about a year. Who was this guy to step into my church and I could take you to the pew with my grandparents' name on it that we set on every single Sunday? And if you were on our pew, hmm. <laughs> so this was the mindset of the church that I was raised up in. This pastor took my name off of the Sunday school world. And so I decided, we called it the Big Baptist Church. Now granted, it was the only Baptist church in town, but it was big. So I decided, well, you took my name off the Sunday school world. The way that we dealt with hurt and conflict in the church was, well, you're wrong, so I'm leaving and I'm going somewhere else. So that's what I did. I told my grandma, I'm not going back to that church the pastor took my name off of the roll. That means he doesn't want me to be a part of that church. And I don't know who he is. You know, I went through the whole rigmarole with this pastor. And so I said, I'm going to the Big Baptist Church. Now, my grandpa's um, sister and her husband taught Sunday school over there. This was a perfect scenario for me because I was going to go be in their Sunday school class. I had a couple of cousins that went to church over there. So I knew the kids, a very small town of about 1,200 people. You know everybody. And so I told my grandma, I'm going to the Big Baptist Church. She said, you can, but you've got to get there yourself. Now, I'm a, I was only in the junior Sunday school class, five, a, a fifth, sixth grade. She said, however you want to go, you just go. You decide whatever you want to do. Now, at this time, I wore a suit every single Sunday. That's what you were supposed to do. Um, and so I put on my suit jacket. I put on my suit pants. I put on my collar and my clip-on tie at that time, and I got on my bicycle and rode to the Big Baptist Church every Sunday morning just because the pastor took my name off of the Sunday school world. It's like he took my go-to-heaven-for-free card or something out of my mind. At that time, that hurt. That was some hurt. Now, those are some funny, comical things that I went through in my life. But it doesn't change the fact, the, the fact that hurt is hurt. And we are all, at some point, if we would be honest with ourselves, we are all going to disagree from time to time, every one of us, because we can't all be right. 
And one of the hardest things for us to learn, or one of the hardest things for me to learn in life, was I'm not right all the time. Maybe a majority of the time, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, but we want to be right all the time. But when someone else is also right, and then there's a conflict. And the way that we deal with that conflict has to be based on the foundation of the Scripture. And this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 15 is a gift that God has given to us on how to actually deal with conflict that arises between our brothers and sisters. Now, I want to step back from this passage of Scripture. I said it when we talked about unity a couple of weeks ago. I've said it a few times as we've gone through the book of Acts. Pastor Morgan shared it last week uh, when he was uh, preaching that we must make certain, first above all things, that our heart is right with God. And then it's out of our heart we actually lead. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how do we make certain that our heart is actually right with God whenever conflict arises in our life? I'm thankful that we are not a church that is experiencing tons of conflict. But I'll tell you, in the 92 years, just just be transparent, in the 92 years, there have been some conflicts that have happened here at Whitechapel Church. And we could tell those stories and probably write the book. But that's not just unique to Whitechapel Church. It's true in every single church that's not just existed in the United States, but around the globe. We just saw in studying at the beginning of Acts chapter 15 that there was this debate that arose on whether believers needed to be circumcised or not. They couldn't come to an agreement. And so then what they had to do in Antioch is they had to then go back to the apostles at the Jerusalem council. And then they had to actually come to an agreement and seek the Lord and then come back to the church and to report to everybody, nope, this is what God actually says. At this point, Paul and Barnabas have finished what we would say was Paul's first missionary journey. And in Paul's first missionary journey, as they've traveled and they've launched the churches, they've come back to Antioch and rejoiced. They've now taken a little bit of break after coming back from the Jerusalem council and resolving this issue. But I imagine... Because of the conflict that was there, it was probably a little bit of a tense situation. Because whenever Paul and Barnabas had come back, I'm sure that the line had been drawn. And there were people on that side saying, this is what we need to do. And people on this side saying, this is what we need to do. And Paul and Barnabas come back and those that traveled with them are actually then reporting what the, what the God of the universe has actually laid upon their hearts. And Peter actually spoke for all of the apostles. Here's the truth in every one of our lives, though. We have been hurt from time to time. And we see that actually taking place here in Acts chapter 15. So if you open your Bible to Acts 15, and I want you to follow along, and I want to dig into this passage of Scripture, because I want to be able to dissect it this morning, and not just focus on this passage of Scripture, but find some other supporting pieces of Scripture that go along with what's actually happening here. So in Acts chapter 15, we'll read in verse 30, 30, that's 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached and the word of the Lord, where we preached the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. So here is God stirring in Paul. Let's go back and visit those towns that we just launched churches. And you remember, whenever they got back to Antioch, the believers there rejoiced and they celebrated because a multitude of people gave their life to Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and people were changed for an eternity. And Paul said, I feel the Lord stirring in me that we've got to go back to those towns and we've got to visit those cities again. And then in verse 37, Barnabas offers his opinion of what should happen here. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he has deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement. Now that is some significant words there. Sharp disagreement. Let me break it down for you. They hurt each other. They hurt each other. So if we're real with what's, what's between the lines here and what's on the black and white of the pages, they hurt each other. They hurt. Just like, obviously to a different magnitude, just like when I was in fourth grade and I didn't get the card that I was looking forward to when I got back. Just like when, for whatever good reason, the pastor took my name off of the Sunday school world. Just like for us to be real when your spouse has said something that may be cut like a knife. Or just like whenever you posted something on social media and somebody came back with a knife-stabbing remark. Just like your boss, who may have given you a lesser review, and you thought you were a stellar employee. Just like maybe a parent, a sibling, or a child spewed something on you. It hurts. It hurts. And we've got to figure out what to do with that hurt. Because you know what happens with unredeemed hurt? And I want you to camp, if you will, for a little bit on those words. Unredeemed hurt. The enemy will always use it against you. Always, always, and forever. He'll always use it against you. When your hurt is not redeemed in your life, to then turn and actually become a holy fuel, if you will, to compel you in life. So, back to verse 36, or I'm sorry, 39. They had such a sharp disagreement. There was hurt, and this is what happened. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. You know what? Life is full of conflict. It's true for every single one of us. And you know what I love about being a follower of Jesus and the gift of the scripture that he's actually given to us? What we find in the scripture, it's just real life. We see here that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they actually parted company. 
They disagreed on whether John Mark should actually go with them on this second missionary journey. And that caused them to actually part ways. But what we find in the Scripture is not that everybody is this perfect little Christian and we have our perfect little lives and we go to our perfect little churches and we have our perfect little families and we have our perfect little jobs and we have our perfect finances and we have all of this perfect stuff in our life. That's not the truth. But yet some of us want to live that way and share that, hey, everything's perfect in my life. When the truth of the matter is when we lay our head down at night, there's hurt that is inside of us and we don't know what to do with that hurt because unfortunately and we should repent of this in the church unfortunately the way that we teach ourselves is whenever we disagree everybody's wrong and we're just going to run away and you know sadly how the uh, the statistics of the American church is the church in America is not growing but yet the numbers are shifting all around and you know why the numbers are shifting all around because we get mad here and we go over there and then this church is in decline, but this church is in growth. And then something happens in this church, and then they get mad here, and then they go over here to another church. And then this church is in growth, and that church is in decline. And what we have to do is hit the stop button on all of this hurt that is happening within the church, and we have to say, hey, wait a minute. Has God given us a pattern of how to deal with hurt? What we have to do is get in the scripture and figure it out and sit in the presence of the Lord and say, hey, God, I've been hurt. Would you heal my hurt so that I can live a life of wholeness and then supplement with some other things and support that we need in life so that we can live life whole instead of hurt? Because the line that we've heard over and over is actually true. Hurt people hurt people. And so when you're wounded, you're going to be more likely to wound somebody else. But what if we stepped out of our woundness, surrendered it to that powerful name of Jesus, and said, God, please heal me. He made us whole. And then that hurt inside of us has been redeemed and becomes a holy fuel to compel us forward so that then we can find other hurt people and help them deal with the hurt in the presence of Jesus so that they can be whole, so then that hurt can become a holy fuel for them to actually compel them forward. But whenever we read this passage of Scripture here, in Acts chapter 15, we don't find any resolution to this. We read it and we think, oh, it's over with. It's over and done. They had such a strong disagreement that they parted ways that they actually separated with. And that is a bad way to read through the Scripture. Because the beautiful thing about Scripture is Scripture never contradicts itself. Scripture always is in agreement with itself. Whenever there's a contradiction in Scripture, we have to step out of that and we have to say, hold on, wait a minute, what is really happening here? And see how it's resolved and it's really not in conflict. And what we see in the relationship of Paul and Barnabas is there would eventually be a healing that actually takes place. And we see here, and we could, well, we could translate this, is Paul was mad at John Mark because John Mark got homesick, if you will, and he left them on the first missionary journey. And you can kind of maybe understand a little bit why Paul going back to those exact same cities and visiting them again to strengthen the churches would not want to take somebody with him, John Mark, who actually got homesick on the first trip or something happened to him and he said, I've got to leave, and he actually went back home. 
But what we find in the book of Galatians is a little bit of additional insight in this passage of Scripture where Barnabas and John Mark are actually related to each other. They're cousins with each other. And so maybe here, I don't know, but this is just an assumption on my part, but maybe here this family relationship between Barnabas and John Mark is something the Lord is using with Barnabas instead of one missionary journey to have two separate missionary journeys. And so then Paul is able to take Silas and Barnabas is able to take John Mark and then they add some other people into that and then they go their separate ways instead of actually being together where they could only visit a select number of cities. Well, now it's automatically doubled. And so now we've got two missionary journeys here. Paul's own missionary, his second missionary journey, and Barnabas' own separate second missionary journey. But what we find in the Scripture over and over again is that the Scripture is full of messy, hurtful relationships from time to time. I wish that I could have been a fly on the wall, on the tree maybe, in the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve were standing there. And I know that there had to be more conversation than just Eve taking an apple and saying, here, Adam, eat it. And then they, they, they just jumped right in and ate it right away. The Scripture doesn't record that in Genesis chapter 3. But just in knowing how human beings operate, there would have had to have been some more conversation. And I imagine that there was probably a little bit of give and take, if you will, in this husband and wife relationship in Genesis chapter 3 and the messiness of the moment that was taking place right there. But it's not just with Adam and Eve that we see a little bit of messiness. And then I'm certain whenever they were expelled from the garden and God had an angel standing there barring them from going back in to where they walked and talked with God, I am certain that Eve had some words for Adam. And I know that there was some messiness in that moment. In relationships. But it's not just Adam and Eve. We see it in Samson and Delilah. We see it in David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And then in David even dealing with a son. We see it with Moses and God's children. We see it even with Jesus and his disciples. At one point, they were with God in the flesh. And they're walking behind him arguing among themselves. Now, Jesus only had a church of 12 people at this point, And they're arguing over who's going to sit next to him in eternity. There was some messiness in those relationships. At another point, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter actually draws a sword and he cuts off a soldier's ear. There was some real messiness in these relationships. We see it with Cain and Abel and the messiness there of murder that took place. We see it with Hosea and Gomer over and over and over. You see, life is simply messy from time to time. And because of the messiness of life, we get hurt. It's happened to every single one of us. But what are you going to do with your hurt? You're going to bottle it up? put a cap on the jar and set it on a shelf let it sit there for however long 
until it gets knocked off or it falls from the shelf and it bursts and then all of that hurt is leaking all over us again? Are we going to hang on to that hurt and let it turn into bitterness and then isolate ourselves from the hurt? Or what do we actually do with the hurt in our life? And I think what we see from this passage of Scripture and other Scriptures we'll get to in just a minute is despite the conflict here between Paul and Barnabas, they prioritized the faithfulness of God above everything else. They kept the mission of the assignment that God had given to each one of them specifically. And what we see here is not so much personal conflict as I believe it is conflict between two people that have different assignments from the Lord. Paul was to take Silas, and he was actually to go. Do you remember when we first read that passage in verse 36? Paul is saying, hey, I feel that we've got to go back and we've got to visit these cities all over again. We've got to make sure that they are aware of what was said in Jerusalem. We've got to make sure that we strengthen them and we build them up. And Paul is saying, this is the way that we need to go. And Barnabas has a different stirring in his life from the Lord. And this is what we have to first know about conflict whenever conflict comes. The only time that we should go different directions is if the Lord is leading us in separate directions in our assignments in life. But yet going separate directions does not divide us. We still are connected in the body of Christ. And I believe it's going to be hard realizing that it's okay, but we are still connected from time to time. And so here's this different assignments leading, us different, leading them different directions here. But the thing where we have to resolve in ourselves is that we are not going to allow disagreements or personal conflicts to to derail the mission that God has given to us. That's not what Paul did. That's not what Barnabas did. They just went different directions because God was leading them different. But yet still, a strong disagreement actually took place between the two of them. You know, we have to remember whenever there are some strong disagreements or whenever there's some hurt from other people in our lives. This is, I think, the first thing that you have to remind yourself of. They, like me, are created in the image of God. They, like me, are created in the image of God. Do you know what the truth of everybody that's ever lived is? They're all created in the image of God. We've got to get back to the truth of the Scripture. And we have to see people for who they are. And we have to remember that there are only two sides in this world. It's not mine, and it's not yours. It's his and the enemy's. And we have to figure out whose side are we going to be on. And it's okay to be in the kingdom of God and disagree as long as we do it in a way that honors God. There's two sides. So whose side are we going to be on? But you know what our tendency is in the flesh? And this is when we operate in the flesh. Is we want to say when somebody disagrees with me, I'm on God's side and they're on the enemy's side. Well, they, they're the ones that are wrong. 
And I believe that if Paul and Barnabas had not processed the hurt and the disagreement in the presence of God, then what they would have got to the place was, well, Paul would have said, I'm right. And he would have said that Barnabas is working for the enemy. And Barnabas would have said, well, I'm right. And Paul is then working from the enemy. And they would have began vilifying each other and discounting the work that they were actually doing. But they didn't let the enemy lead them to that point. Remember, there's two sides. And what does the enemy do? It's my favorite passage of Scripture. Jesus' words reminds us that it is the thief. That's the enemy. The other side, the other kingdom, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the work of the enemy. Barnabas wasn't stealing, killing, and destroying. Paul wasn't stealing, killing, and destroying. Instead, they were living out the mission of Jesus separately, despite their strong disagreement. They were living out Jesus' mission where he said, But I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. We have to make certain that we do not vilify the people that disagree with us. And you know, I'm sure you've, if, if you've been online any, you see right now that there is a, uh, one of the major denominations, the evangelical denominations in the, in the United States, are getting ready to gather for their major convention. And there's all of this disagreement that's taking place. And they're vilifying each other. Well, I'm right, and I'm on the Lord's side. Well, the other side's saying, I'm right, and we're on the Lord's side. And you're wrong, and you're working for the enemy. But you know what? It began happening in the church of God about three weeks ago. And there's all of this division, and there's all of this debate back and forth, where everybody says, I'm the one that's right, and you're working for the enemy. And this side is saying, we're the ones that are right, and you're working for the enemy. And I'm in the middle with clowns to the left of me and jokers to the right, and I'm stuck in the middle of Jesus. And that's how we feel sometimes. Half of you did not get that song reference, and you're wondering, what in the world is he saying right now? Just Google it and listen to the song. It's a good song. I saw the look on Lucy's face. Huh? What's he actually talking about? Uh, what if, what if, what if God takes disagreements and uses them for his glory and his honor? For his, for his sake. Do we all need to lay down our weapons? Absolutely. Do we all need to step out of our hurt and say, God, I'm hurt, I'm giving it to you? Would you please heal the hurt so that it then can become a fuel so that I can be who you want me to be? But I tell you, I tell you what we do is this is where we mess up. And this is where we err as followers of Christ because we want to draw a line and we want to say, if you're on that side, you're a sinner. And if you're on my side, you are a child of God. And listen, we're, I'm not saying that we compromise on the Scripture. I'm not saying that we walk away from the truth of God's Word that He has spoken to us because we should never do that. And if we do that, then we are on the enemy's side. Because God has laid out what holiness and unity looks like for us in the church. But what I am saying 
is that we, as God's sons and daughters, we never should give up on each other. Amen? Because we're brothers and sisters. And how can we give up on each other down here when we're going to be forever in eternity together where we can never give up on each other? But it doesn't change the fact that life hurts. So I want to share just a couple of short, short, short things on how I believe that we have to process our hurt. First, I have to remind you that this place is a refuge of grace. I believe that God has spoken it, that God has called us into this refuge of grace. And in a refuge of grace, we have to love every single person, right or wrong, good or bad. Because as long as there's breath in their body, as wrong or as sinful as they are, there's still hope that they surrender to Jesus. And that's what a refuge of grace is. And so what that means is there's going to be a lot of people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't act like us, and they don't even smell like us. But we don't draw a line and say, you're wrong, and we're the ones that are right. Because we know that they were created in the image of God. And in fact, Jesus said, this is my commandment in John chapter 15, verse 33. This is my commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do, followers of me. This is my command to you. Love each other as I have loved you. And this is what I know. There have been times in my life that I was unlovable, but Jesus still loved me. And if we would be honest with ourselves, that's true for every single one of us. There are moments where we're just not lovable, but he still loves us. And as long as God loves, then we have to love. We don't compromise on the truth of the scripture. And we don't compromise on who God is. We don't walk away from the truth that God has given to us. But the core foundation of that truth is that we have to love one another. And so when somebody hurts us, we don't draw a line and stop loving them. We keep loving them the way that Jesus actually loved us. Because if we have received love, then we have to give love. Otherwise, the problem might be us. Because if you don't have love inside of you, you don't have love to give. Because only what is inside of you is what can leak out of you. And if love of Jesus is inside of you, then naturally the love of Jesus is going to leak out of you. But if the love of the flesh and the love of the enemy is inside of you, then that's the only thing that can leak out of you. When people hurt you, you have to love them. It's not optional. It's the command of Jesus. The next thing that you need to do is when people hurt you, you have to forgive them. It's not optional. Because in the same way that we receive the love of Jesus, we also receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And if we are around each other, at for any length of time, we're going to do things to hurt other people. But we keep loving them, and we forgive them. And I love Jesus' conversation with Peter. Whenever Peter came to Jesus, and Peter wants to know, 
Because Peter's the analytical guy, I'm sure that Peter was putting together an Excel sheet with everybody's name in it at this moment. And Peter, I'm sure, had John listed there, and John has done these wrongs with me in his Excel sheet. And he's like, okay, I've forgiven John a number of times. And then we went over um, to Andrew, and he put Andrew there in his Excel sheet. He said, Andrew, I'm sure, has done these things wrong, and so I'm going to actually forgive uh, Andrew these times. And then he had to go to Judas. And I'm sure that Judas's Excel sheet was a little bit longer Excel sheet than the rest of their Excel sheets, just because of what we see from Judas. And then Judas had all of these wrongs done to Peter, and then Peter's like, I've forgiven him all of these number of times. But Peter wasn't content with that because Peter came to Jesus and he's having a conversation with Jesus and he just wants to know because he needs to complete his Excel sheet. How many times, Jesus, do I actually have to forgive people? This is that conversation that's recorded in the scripture. In Matthew chapter, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Do I forgive them seven times and then I draw a line in the sand and they're actually working for the enemy? Jesus said, watch what Jesus said. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now there's some significance to that number and those who were with Jesus would have actually known that what Jesus is saying by saying 77 times is you just keep forgiving them. You never stop forgiving them. Now, obviously, obviously, we have to catch this. Obviously, we're not going to put ourselves into harmful situations and say, I've forgiven them, and so I'm stepping right back into that situation. No, that's not what Jesus would have us do. Because if people are harming us, we step out of that situation because that is the enemy at work seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy us. However, when we step out of that harmful situation, we still have to get to the place where we love and extend the forgiveness to that individual. We don't run right back into the fire because the fire is going to burn us. But yet the one who started the fire, we love and we forgive them. Listen, this is hard. This is the hardest thing that any of us will ever do in our lives. But because we have received the forgiveness of God, and because God's forgiveness is inside of us, then that is what has to actually leak out of us so that we then extend forgiveness to everyone. How do we get here? How do we get to the place to one, the ones who have hurt us the most, we love and we forgive? Listen, you process your hurt in the presence of Jesus. You don't spew it publicly. And whenever the disagreements become publicly become public, the enemy always uses it because he seeks to steal, to kill and destroy. And he's going to use everything. He's going to use everything in your life to divide so that he can conquer. But we don't let the enemy into the situation. Instead, we step into our time with God and we say, "Hey God, I have been hurt." Help me love and help me forgive. And that is where you start processing your hurt. And then you let God lead you as he speaks to you. You don't run to the one who's hurt you and then just start puking and vomiting all over them. You've hurt me, you've hurt me, you've hurt me. Because hurt people hurt people. 
And until you are healed of your hurt in the presence of God, you can't give love and you can't give forgiveness because only love comes for God and only forgiveness comes from God. And we don't do that naturally. We process it in the presence of God and then we love and then we actually forgive. But instead, we run into the battle We go back to the person and we spew all over them hatred and evil and we draw a line and we say, I'm over here and you're over there. I'm on God's side and you're on the enemy's side. And that's not what Paul and Barnabas actually did. You can read through Galatians and you can read through 2 Timothy. And let me give you this passage of scripture in 2 Timothy. And I highlighted a middle part here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse, you can even go back several verses, but I've put up here verse 11, 12, and 13. Paul wrote to Timothy. This is his second letter to Timothy. And Paul is saying, hey, I'm in prison now, and so I need some help in prison. So this is much later than Acts chapter 15. And this is what Paul says. Only Luke is with me now. Luke, who actually wrote the book of Acts. This is what Paul says. Get Mark. Wait a minute. Get Mark. We can go back to Acts chapter 15 and let the enemy use the scripture and say Mark hate, or, uh, Paul hated Mark. No, he didn't. He didn't. God was leading him in separate directions. They allowed a strong disagreement to come between them. It should not have been there. That disagreement should not have been here. But it did happen, and they went their separate ways. And Paul, at some point, recognized the wrong that was in his life and the, the hurt that he had whenever John Mark actually left them. But here we get to the end of Paul's life, and Paul has obviously processed this hurt in the presence of God, because listen to what he says. I put it in yellow. Get Mark. This is the same one in the end of Acts 15. Get Mark and bring him with you. Watch. Because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Here, you're reading about a Paul who's processed this hurt in the presence of God. He's allowed God to heal him. He didn't run to Mark and say, you're such a baby because you were homesick. You abandoned us. You walked away from this journey from God that we were on. Paul was hurt. It separated Paul and his mentor Barnabas. And we can see through scriptures, through Paul's letters, his epistles, of how he processed this hurt. And then we get to the end of his life when he's in prison waiting to be killed, martyred for the faith. And he says, that guy, that guy, I've forgiven him. He's helpful to me. Bring him with you. Please bring him with you, Timothy. Do you see the change here? It was because Paul was in the throne room of God, being healed from his hurt, and then he led from a posture of being healed healed. So I want to ask you a question this morning that I think the Holy Spirit may have been stirring in some of you. What hurt have you carried with you? Some of it may be like the fourth grade caterpillar that I never got. And I didn't realize it. But you know what? There was something that happened, a good thing, and it brought up all of that hurt. I didn't go back and look up my fourth grade teacher on Facebook and send her this evil letter. No, I sat with God. And I said, God, I don't, 
I didn't even know I had this. Do you know what the Bible calls this? Sanctification. That's God perfecting the image of himself inside of us so that we not reflect hurt, but instead we reflect his image. What hurt? What hurt are you carrying with you? Maybe it's from some strong division in your family. Maybe it's from something with a job. Maybe it's from some children you may have been separated from. Maybe it's from a failed marriage. Maybe it's from a financial situation. Maybe it's from something with your parents. This morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is giving you an invitation into the presence of God to surrender that hurt in His presence so that you can be healed so then it becomes a holy fuel compelling you to help hurt people heal. What hurt have you carried with you for some time? This morning, I want to ask you to begin this conversation with God so that we in this refuge of grace are strengthened from the wholeness, the healing that God wants to give to every single one of us through his love and his forgiveness. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.